0: We've been working our way through um, First Corinthians a little bit—First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14—and some some uh, principles there, truths there that relate to life in the church. And we talked about love from First Corinthians 13 a couple of weeks ago. And I want to take a side path from that because, as we talk about how we relate to each other in the church and the body of Christ, uh, we know that sometimes um, we have problems that come up and. There are times when we actually offend or wrong or hurt or sin against one another in the church. This happens, of course, in families. It happens with friends and also happens in the church as well. And I want to encourage you. That's why I want to make sure everybody had a hand. I want to encourage you to uh, to capture these ideas. And I would say, say this way. Um, you might need some guidance, you might need some encouragement with this right now. There may be a situation right now where you need help with this. It's likely you will in the future uh, need some guidance on this. But also, as we think in terms of of reaching other people and multiplying uh, the body of Christ and making disciples, there are going to be people that need help with this. And you are the ones who are going to be discipling. You are the ones who are going to be helping other people to grow. And and a lot of people don't know how to carry on a a friendship or a relationship within the church setting in the body of Christ, especially when there are problems, when there are offenses, when wrongs happen, when, when feelings are hurt. They just don't know how to handle it. And it's important that we all know how to handle these things and that we are able to help others to handle them as well. I think this can also help you in, in your families because uh, really the, the principles are the same. And in our culture, division and divisiveness and, and hostility toward other people is norm is normal, right? I mean, all you have to do is drive down the highway, you know, and there's somebody who, who is, uh, who's expressing some hostility to you possibly because you're in their way. It's just the way the world is. It's the way of the world. It's the way it is possibly where you work, or where you go to school, or the way you interact in public, and you see it in the public forum. You see it in, in uh, society. You see it related to social issues and political issues, right? There's just this, this hostility that's there. That, that is the norm in our culture. That is not the norm for Christians. Christian... Culture is to be completely different. Our churches, our relationships with fellow Christians, our marriages, our families are called to be different. And for us, unity is the norm. Unity is normal. Harmony is the way God intended it to be. Because we still wrong one another, because we sometimes hurt each other There has to be a way to resolve those problems. There has to be a way to to restore relationships and unity. And one essential to that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And as I talk about forgiveness today, I'm talking mainly about, about our forgiveness toward other people, not God's forgiveness of us, although, of course, that's the basis, and we will definitely link to that. But we're talking primarily about our forgiveness toward others. And so we need to understand what it is. We need to know how to do it. How do you do forgiveness? And, and we find in Luke chapter 17 some very direct, simple lessons on forgiving others from Jesus Christ. So we'll be in Luke chapter 17 today, is where we'll be starting out. They, they, they're simple, these instructions are simple, they're, they're not complicated. They can lead to some complexities, but the instructions themselves are pretty straightforward. But that doesn't mean they're easy, does it? It requires God's grace. We need God's help to follow these. So we're going to look at two simple lessons. We'll look at one today and then one another Sunday on forgiving others. I want us to understand the meaning of each one and talk about how we implement them. So look with me at Luke chapter 17. Uh, Jesus' words here in verses 3 and 4. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. You shall forgive him. Let's pray again. Let's just ask for God's direct uh, work in our lives as we looked his word today. Thank you, Jesus, for not only giving yourself for us, but also for giving us guidance for how to live in a way that, that shows that we truly honor you with our lives. And, uh, Lord, we pray for your help now. I pray that you would not only give us understanding of what you said about forgiveness, but also help us to have the humility and the honesty to know when we need to make changes and take these steps, or to be on the receiving end and respond to somebody else who approaches us about a wrong or an offense or a hurt. And then I pray for the grace, Lord, the the spiritual energy to carry them out, because it isn't always easy. So we pray for these things, and I ask for your help as we look together at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The simple lesson that we'll be looking at today, and I've tried to word these very simply to reflect the simplicity that Jesus included here, is forgive freely, forgive freely. When Jesus said, take heed to yourselves in Luke 17, verse 3, he is saying, pay close attention to this area of your life pay close attention, give give careful attention, he's saying, to what happens when somebody sins against you. So he's saying this is important, this is critical, this is essential that you know what to do. So pay careful attention to what happens when somebody sins against you. He says if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. You can't get much more direct than that, right? So he, he stated this very directly and very clearly. And what can happen is when when we've been offended or we've been hurt, it, it raises sometimes intense emotions. And we tend to function and operate out of those emotions. Sometimes it, it raises complicated questions. And we will get to some of those, those difficult questions related to forgiveness, especially in the next message. But I don't want us to miss the simplicity of this, right? In all the complexity and the hurt and the emotion of, of being, being offended and, and then the idea of forgiveness Let's not miss the simplicity of what Jesus is saying here and not make it harder than it is. Listen to Jesus' words and consider how to obey them. I think that's what he means by take heed to yourselves. Listen to what he says and consider how to obey him. If your brother sins, and this would um, include men and women, not just the male gender, so your brother or your sister is the idea, And this is addressing an issue likely here between two, two Christian, we would call them, brothers or sisters. So he's talking about individuals primarily here who are saved. Do saved people sin against each other? Of course, that does happen, doesn't it? To sin means here, when he says if your brother sinned, it's not just doing something you don't like. Not just something that annoys you or you disagree with. It means that you break one of God's commandments. So the person who does this is breaking one of God's commandments, and it affects you. So, so sometimes we are just aware of somebody else's sin, and certainly we should try to come alongside that person and help that person deal with that sin. But what Jesus is primarily dealing with here is not just when you're aware of somebody else's sin, but when their sin directly affects you. Notice he says, uh, in, in verse 3. If your brother sins against you, you may be looking at a translation that doesn't include the words against you in verse 3, but he does state them in verse 4. If he sins against you, so it is definitely in verse 4. So that's what he's talking about here, is the scenario where, you, where somebody else commits sin, breaks one of God's commandments, and that sin directly affects you personally. Should we be surprised... When somebody sins against us, it, it is kind of, uh, there is kind of a, a surprise that we feel, a little bit of a jolt when somebody wrongs us. Like, hey, what's, what's going on? You're not supposed to act that way. You're not supposed to do that. So there's a sense in which, in which there's a little bit of a shock sometimes when somebody sins against us. But should we be surprised? We shouldn't, should we? It is very common. Jesus recognized that it's going to happen. So I would even say we should expect it. We should expect our family member to sin against us. We should expect our spouse to sin against us. We should expect fellow church members at times to sin against us and not be surprised and and get angry or go quiet or strike out to hurt them back. Just, okay, somebody sinned against me. Now what do I do with that? And I like to sometimes break... A process down into baby steps. I think that helps us to think in terms of the little actions that we need to take when we're responding and obeying God in some specific way. So what I'm going to give you is six practical steps for forgiving freely, for for following Jesus' instruction uh, for when somebody sins against you, where he says, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is, is these six baby steps, these six practical ways to respond when this happens. And the first one is to decide if you can let it go. There are offenses that we can decide to just let go and, and not confront the other person with the issue. We we do and say hurtful things as we do life with family, with church members and with friends. Now, there's a text of scripture, and uh, I'm not going to have you turn there today because I've actually taken you there a few times in the past several weeks. But let me just remind you of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8. It's in the context of e- encouraging those people to love each other, to love one another. And he says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another so it's in the context of caring and and having a disposition of wanting to do what's best for the other person even at at personal cost to yourself so have fervent love for one another and then he continues it this way for love will cover a multitude of sins love will cover a multitude of sins Now, that's primarily not for the person who's sinning against the other one saying, hey, you should just forget about this because, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, right? This is really for the offended, the person who is showing love to the other and says, you know what, love, if I love this person, there is a time for me to let it go. Now, let me talk about this for just a second. If something stays on your mind or when you see the other person, who has wronged you, and this is what comes to your mind, then you're not letting it go. And I don't think the Word of God is telling us that we should let everything go. Sometimes it stays on your mind. When you see that person, it, it bothers you. It affects your, your relationship, your ability to even talk and, and have a normal functioning relationship with that person in your family, with a friend, or in the body of Christ. Or there may be some serious moral offense that has has impacted you this is not saying oh you should just kind of brush over that and move on that's not what this is saying but there is a time for us when we can decide this is this is small enough this is insignificant enough this is just doing life together we're gonna bother we're gonna say things that hurt and i don't have to bring that up i can just move on one commentary says this Where love abounds in a friendship of Christians, so where there's fervent love, where where love abounds, love is the atmosphere. Remember we talked about love being the the, the aromatic candle, right? You walk in and it smells like love. So so where, where love abounds in a friendship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. We just decide in love, you know what, I don't have to confront, I don't have to deal with that, I can move on, I can let it go. And that is a legitimate way to proceed. If it is a moral wrong, and or if it is causing continual hurt, then you don't just, just brush past that. Some wrongs you can there's a saying that Faith and I heard somewhere, and I don't remember who said it or where we heard this, but it has helped, been helpful to us, where somebody just made up their minds that there were times when they would, in their, in their own thoughts, say, in response to a hurt, I won't be offended by that. I will not be offended by that. So they just make a choice, right? Just, I'm, I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm not going to let that hurt me. I'm not going to consider that an offense by the other person. <laughs> we're, we're human. People do things and say things. And, and I, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to be offended by that. So we can make that choice. And sometimes that is a good and right choice to make, to not be hurt or bothered by something. Paul said this in Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. So sometimes we just bear with one another, right? kind of like we put up with each other. We just say, oh, it's okay. We're family. We're friends. I'm not going to be offended by that. I'm not going to let that bother me. Not going to let that hurt me. And there is a time for that. So you need to make a decision. Can I let this go? Is it staying on my mind? Do I think about it every time I see that person? Does it affect my relationship with that person? Or can I just, just move on? And, and in love, let that go. Maybe you can. Maybe not. Maybe you should, or maybe you should not depending on the degree and the kind of offense that it is so that leads to a second practical step and again just keeping this simple but i want to dig into this this morning because it's very important we might just say, oh pray about it right you should pray about that i think this is a very important baby step not an insignificant step but a but a very specific step that we should take in thinking about forgiveness And I want to give you three reasons, and we're going to look at these texts this morning in Scripture. I want to give you three reasons to pray specifically about an issue where there is a wrong or a hurt or an offense against you. So three ways to pray specifically about the issue and to pray about and pray for the people who are involved. So go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus told us to pray for people, didn't he? And here in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us a specific kind of person to pray for. So look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies." bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and here it is, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he goes on to say, this is, this is showing, this is a way of demonstrating that you are a child of God. You're a son of your father in heaven there, verse, verse 45. So Jesus is telling us not just to pray generally for people but he's telling us to specifically pray for people who hurt us, people who are hostile to us. And, and here, I mean, this is, this is an extreme situation, those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Well, if that's the extreme, if he's saying you should pray for somebody who persecutes you, who, who hunts you down and, and even may want to uh, imprison you or even take your life, then doesn 't it make sense that we should pray for the lesser offenses if we if we pray for that great offense that someone may may enact against us doesn 't it make sense that we should pray for those who who have hurt us in some lesser way and I think the answer is yes, we should so so prayer is one response to the hurt that someone causes you in praying for and praying about that person and I would also add to this that prayer is an antidote for bitterness, because if we are struggling with a bitterness towards somebody, resentment for what they've done to us, the hurt and the the problems they've caused us, praying for them is an antidote for bitterness. It gives our minds something positive and constructive and spiritually positive to do for that person. Now, go to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. I think you have these uh, references in your notes to kind of help you track with me here. So Philippians chapter 4. So why should we pray about an issue where we've been wronged as well as for the people involved? First of all, because Jesus told us to pray for people who hurt us. <coughs> Secondly, because, because Paul told us to pray about things that cause us to be anxious. And we see this in Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What happens if somebody has, has wronged you? You think about it, don't you? It stays on your mind. You lie there at night and it's going through your mind. You're doing some work that may be sort of mindless. And you're able to think about things. And, and this person and what they've done to you comes to your mind. Something prompts a memory or or a situation makes you think about that person what they've done to you and it's on your mind or if you are thinking about having a conversation with that person about this issue that can create anxiety right and concern it can be stressful so here we're told to pray about things that cause us to be anxious a problem with another person naturally causes tension and makes you anxious, and and if you're facing a hard conversation, that produces stress, so what should you do? Pray. Pray about the situation and pray for that person. And what's his promise? Well, there is the result of peace in your heart, the peace of God. So make your requests known, include thanksgiving for what God is doing, how God is working, the hope that you have for reconciliation and restoration, and pray for that person. Now go to James chapter 3, because when we are working through a tense situation involving another person, we need help, and the help that God gives often comes to us in the form of wisdom, wisdom. So we need to pray because Jesus told us to pray for other people who hurt us. We need to pray because it's a way of overcoming the anxiety and tension that we feel, and we need to pray because prayer is the way of getting the wisdom that we need to work through, talk through this difficult situation. Now, I want us to look at James chapter 3 because here we know at the beginning of James in chapter 1, he tells us to ask for wisdom for our trials, so we could certainly talk about that, but in James chapter 3, he's describing the kind of wisdom that God gives, and it relates directly to the problems we have with other people so look with me at James chapter 3 starting in verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you so if you have wisdom here's how you show it let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom what characterizes the wisdom that God gives A meekness, a humility, right? A submission to God, a a genuine care for other people. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, if if that's what's going on in your mind, this bitterness, this envy, wanting your own way, pushing people around, uh, that, that doesn't reflect the wisdom that comes from God. This wisdom, he says in verse 15, does not descend from above. In fact, it's earthly, sensual, and look at how how serious this is. It's demonic. That self-seeking, self-serving approach does not come from God. In fact, it actually comes from Satan. Verse 16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, look at verse 17. This wisdom that's from above, so the wisdom God gives you, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So again, the context of peace. Now I won't go into the meaning of that verse, but the idea is this leads to peace. So what he's, what he's identifying here is the characteristic uh, characteristics of this wisdom, and I, I want to highlight three of them. First of all, the word peaceable means it it tends toward unity it produces harmony not conflict it doesn't generate more conflict it moves toward harmony it's not antagonistic it does it's not divisive it's peaceable it moves and leads toward peace the goal of this process for this person using this kind of wisdom is peace then he says gentle this wisdom is gentle it's kind it comes through in your demeanor in how you talk to that other person, the tone of voice that you use, the language that you choose, the look on your face. It comes through as kindness. It's controlled. It's not harsh. It's not demeaning or demanding. It is gentle. And then uh, my translation here says um, in uh, in verse 17, willing to yield. Uh, Another translation is easy to be entreated. And another one says open to reason. So willing to yield, easy to be entreated, open to reason. The whole the the, the, the summary of all that, the, the idea is that that it's reasonable. Somebody's reasonable, right? You can have a conversation with them, you can talk to the situation, they're not shutting you down, they're not pushing their view the whole time, they're open to listening and they're willing to discuss it, right? Our natural reaction is to to be defensive. He says this kind of wisdom is actually reasonable. You can talk it through. You can listen to both sides. You can give when you need to give, is the idea to this. So we need that kind of wisdom, don't we, when we are dealing with a problem, working through an offense, having a conversation with somebody who may just be very prickly or or very intensely antagonistic or adversarial toward us. We need it for ourselves, and, and we need to pray for it to also be present in their hearts and in their lives and in whatever conversation we may be having. So you can see how important prayer is, right, as we pray in these specific ways. We naturally react to people who hurt us. We naturally fret and stew and maybe want to, to rant, maybe, maybe write up an email or sometimes you're composing the the speech you're going to give or the email you're going to send in your mind, right? We formulate those, those thoughts. What should we do first? Tell me out loud. What should we do first? Pray about it. Pray about it. Exactly. And pray for this wisdom for everyone involved. Now, if you decide that the issue is not something you can let go, And after you've prayed for the person and prayed about the situation, then we take a third step. And let's go back to Luke 17 and the third step. And again, I'm breaking this down. I'm trying to make this as simple as Jesus did, but thinking through the actual steps that we take in this encounter. So the third step is have a conversation, have a conversation. And I get that from the word rebuke, rebuke him. And we'll talk about this, all right? So have a conversation. Problems between people often break down right here. It doesn't happen. The parties develop resentment over time toward each other, become embittered toward each other, go silent toward each other. There's just no more communication, no more relationship. That can happen. Or it can go the other way where there's a a conversation, but it's actually a confrontation, right? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to tell them off, uh, tell them how it is. And there's anger and hurtful things are said. And what I've found is that, that people need to learn how to have this conversation when it's like, okay, I know I need to talk to that guy. I know I need to sit down with her. How do you have that conversation? What takes place? So when you see the word rebuke, what comes to mind? It's like, bam, I'm going to deliver a rebuke, right? I'm going to, again, tell them how it is. Tell them what I think. We think of a tense confrontation, making accusations with no room for discussion at all. It's just, I'm telling you what's wrong. I've been on the receiving end of some conversations like that, where somebody just said, I'm telling you how it is. I'm telling you what's wrong and you need to fix this, and here's what you need to do, right? No conversation, really, no discussion. It was just delivered as, as a bomb, you know, a grenade thrown in, boom. And, and that, that's how it was approached. And that's what comes to some people's mind. I don't, think that, I don't think that's what's primarily in view here. It does imply a face-to-face conversation between you and the person who sinned against you. Okay, so if you're going to rebuke someone, it implies there's going to be some talking going on. And this is one of the hardest things to do. Our impulse is to talk about the problem, but usually with somebody else. Just kind of spill it, right? Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what's on my mind. So that, that's the, one of our natural responses is to tell somebody else about it, kind of unload it, get their sympathy about it. Um, Or another possible response is to try to get somebody else to handle it. Pastor, I've got this problem with somebody else. Here's what they did. And the idea is get the pastor to take care of it. God's way is for you to have a conversation with that person. That's God's way. Let's go to a few uh, passages. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, Matthew eighteen fifteen, sounds very similar, doesn't it, to what Jesus said, what's recorded in Luke chapter 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, there it is again, they've committed sin and it's against you, it affects you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. This is a conversation. This is two people getting together and talking about this issue, and you tell them the fault, and and the idea is if if he listens to you, so here's what you have to say, responds in the right way, then the relationship is restored. The problem is reconciled. The relationship is restored. That's best-case scenario. That's the idea. Listen to Proverbs chapter 25. You have these verses, I think, in your notes there, but just listen to what it says. Do not go hastily to court. Again, I think the idea is don't run and try to involve the authorities. Don't try to get somebody else to solve your problem for you. For what will you do in the end when your neighbors put you to shame? What if it turns out that you're the one in the wrong or you have some fault in the situation? Proverbs 25:9. Debate your case with your neighbor. In other words, have a conversation Talk about the problem. Try to work through it yourselves first. Do not disclose the secret to another. Don't share something private with somebody else first. Verse 10, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. The emphasis here is on handling problems directly with someone. Don't jump to talking to somebody else. Don't jump to to involving a higher authority who you're hoping will solve the problem for you. The idea is that, that you handle it yourself. And, and you need to ask for this conversation. I like to suggest words. And, again, I'm, this is, I'm breaking this down. This is very simple. But, again, sometimes people just don't even know how to, how to go about this. So, so for a few of these steps, I'm going to suggest some wording. You can just say to somebody, hey, I think it would be good for us to talk. Can we get together? It's that simple, right? It might, even be, it might even involve saying, you know, there, there's some tension here. Or you know about the problem we have. It'd be good for us to talk. Can we meet up? Now, if they live in the same house, you probably don't have to make an appointment, right? If it's a family member, you can say, hey, can we take a walk or can we sit down and have a conversation, right? You don't have to schedule it for next week. But the idea is you you initiate it and it's it's brotherly, it's sisterly. Hey, can, can we talk? I think it'd be good for us to talk. Can, can I meet with you? And the goal is understanding and reconciliation and unity and growth. Now, what if the person says no? What if they say no? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Go back to step two and pray about it. Go back and pray. Pray for the person Pray for yourself. Pray for wisdom. Pray for God to maybe give them a tender heart and a willingness to talk, right? So go back and pray about it. And and then you can ask again and say, hey, you know what? I just, I, I've stepped back. I've prayed about this, and I just really want, want to talk with you. Would you please meet with me, right? Now, if they won't listen or they won't talk, then you may need to go to the next step that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16. But if he will not hear, right? So if they won't if they won't listen to what you have to say in the sense of they won't even meet with you, or if you don't get the problem resolved and you believe the person is still at fault, they're not acknowledging a wrong, then he says, take with you one or two more by the mouth of two or three witnesses every Word may be established. So, if they won't listen, then you can take another step. I want to to address something here, and there's a reason I'm addressing it, and I'll I'll comment on that in just a second. Um, the instruction here is not to send a message. In in this culture, it wouldn't be to call on somebody to come and hand carry a written note to this other person, right? Uh, it's not. An instruction to write a letter or to bring it into our day, to send an email. The normal process, the normal way that Jesus is instructing us here to deal with a problem is to have an in-person conversation with each other. And I would say that's implied certainly when he says in verse 15, go and tell him, right? But when you and him alone, so this is implying that there's a, a face-to-face conversation happening. When he says in verse 16, take with you one or two more, that's pretty clear to me is that this is something that happens in person, not in writing. Now, if, if it's the, the, the last resort, the only way you can communicate with somebody is in writing by an email or something like that, which would be very rare, I think, in our day. then then maybe there would be room for that if it's done in in the right way. But the normal way of communicating with each other, and especially about problems, is to go in person, to go physically to the one who has done the wrong and and take people with you when necessary in order to to have that conversation. And, And I'm emphasizing that because of interaction I've had recently with somebody who insists... That email is the preferred way to handle an offense. And, again, I would say that that if that's the only option, it's better than nothing, but a lot of care has to be taken to make sure that our tone is not misinterpreted, that we are showing brotherly or sisterly care for that person. There are many potential problems with email. Last resort, possible way to do it. But the normal way, according to Jesus' instruction, is this face-to-face conversation. Now, what should happen? Let's go back to Luke chapter 17. What should happen? This brings us to a fourth practical step. By the way, when I say that about interaction I've had with somebody, it's nobody sitting here today. Okay, just to, just to clarify that. So what should happen? The fourth practical step is that when we have this conversation, we should speak directly and with humility. Directly and with humility. This is contained in this word rebuke, in the idea of rebuke that we find in verse 3. This does not have to be a harsh accusation, does not have to be a tense confrontation. It may feel awkward, it may feel uncomfortable. But it doesn't have to be strong. It doesn't have to be intense, right? In fact, I think it's it's best to approach it in as gracious and understanding a way as possible. Now, I want to want to unload a little more information on you here, so keep keep the thinking caps on. Keep processing with me, because uh, Jay Adams shares some very interesting and helpful thoughts on this idea of what's what's uh, involved in the idea of rebuke here in Luke 17. J. Adams is known for uh, counseling materials as well as preaching, um, instruction, and he's written a lot of materials on counseling, very helpful resources. And, and here's what Jay Adams says on Jesus' instruction to rebuke. Will you just track with me here and listen to what he says. According to Christ's words, the offended brother or sister does not try to bring a conviction on the offender, making charges and calling for repentance. We might call it an indictment, right? Like a prosecuting attorney brings an indictment against somebody. Rather, he must go first to the offender and rebuke him, and here, here are Adam's words, in a tentative manner, a tentative manner. Now, listen to how he describes this. He says the word in Luke 17.3 is not the Greek word translated that we would translate convict like a prosecuting attorney would do. But the Greek word that means to rebuke tentatively. In other words, he first goes and explains the situation as he has perceived it or experienced it. Hey, this is what I saw or this is what I think happened or this is what you said. Here's how that impacted me. The tentative rebuke allows for discussion of the facts. So there's, here's my perspective. Let's hear your side of this. Ultimately, this may more likely lead to a quick and easier reconciliation. So if you show up with a file and, you know, you, you open the file and here's the charges against you and you better do this, and that person's a lot more likely to shut down, right, or to be defensive. But if we come at it as, hey, brother, sister, uh, here's what happened. I think we both kind of know what's happened. Or maybe you don't realize what, what happened there in this conversation or what you said or the thing you did. But here, here's how it hit me. Here's what I experienced. And uh, what's your perspective on that? You know? Did you see what you did as, as being this way? Did you intend to do that? Maybe you didn't mean to be hurtful. Did you, did you mean to say something that was kind of pointed at me and, and demeaning to me? See the difference? There's room for discussion. You're opening the conversation. You're giving that other person an opportunity to share their perspective. And it's a lot more likely, Adams says, to, to have a, a more quick and, and effective um, movement toward reconciliation. I find that very helpful. Um, Rather than approach it like a prosecutor building a case to get a conviction, present the facts as you see them, give room for explanation and discussion, and approach it as a friend. You're a friend. Or as a family member. Not, not an adversarial position. We can be direct about sin, for sure. And again, I mean, if it's, if it's something like adultery, that's, that's pretty obvious. We don't have to say, hmm, so here's what I think happened. How did you see that, right? No, that, that's obvious sin. But many times we can give people an opportunity to to respond and to explain. This has helped me a lot in counseling others and has helped me a lot in even our marriage and having conversations with each other as husband and wife. It, It relieves a pressure and it emphasizes the relationship. And if the other person is a believer, the Holy Spirit is already convicting their heart, right? And so it's not primarily about my feelings or about being right, but it's about the relationship. It's about unity in the family or in the body of Christ. And what happens is you actually become an agent. Even if you are the wronged party, you become an agent in God's work of reconciliation. Look at Galatians 6. Galatians 6. And think about it that way. We naturally think of helping somebody out who has fallen into sin and we're coming alongside them. But think of Galatians 6, verse 1, in connection with you being the offended party, you being the wronged person. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That applies, doesn't it? And especially if, if you are, would tend to respond out of anger or resentment because you've been hurt, then, then all the more we need to make sure we have that spirit of, of gentleness, we're concerned for our brother or sister who may be overtaken by a sin, and we're considering ourselves lest we be tempted to bitterness, anger, hostility, revenge, uh, pride that all can surface in, in these situations. And in doing so, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Verse 2 says, what's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor, right? Love God, love your neighbor. So we love other people by doing this. So speaking directly and with humility is important and a very practical step here. The next practical step back in Luke chapter 17, give the person space to think about it. Verse 3 says, if he repents, if he repents. So give them space to process what you've brought up and to respond. Now, they might say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I was wrong, and I'm so sorry, and will you forgive me? I mean, that's the best-case scenario. That's that's ideal, isn't it? But, But repentance involves a change of mind, doesn't it? That's what the word means. It means to have a change of mind. So a person might immediately see it and respond, or they might not. And I think it's helpful to not demand an immediate response from them, but if they don't respond the way that you would like for them to right away, just to kind of step back and say, you know what? Uh, Would you like some time to think and pray about this? Or would you take time to think and pray about this? And let's talk again in a few days, right? We don't have to demand that they immediately acknowledge, admit, and ask forgiveness, but give them time to process, pray for God to work, and allow that space for them to do so. I think that's a very helpful practical step. And then Jesus says, forgive, right? So if the person admits what they've done is wrong and they ask you for forgiveness, here's the instruction to forgive. And actually forgiving, I've worded it this way, means to commit yourself to not hold the issue against that person or bring it up against that person, either to them or to anybody else. So forgiveness means you make a commitment. Really, you make a promise. That's what God does for us, isn't it? He promises forgiveness. And we commit ourselves. We promise to that person. We say, I forgive you. We promise to not hold the issue against them or bring it up against them. Remember, we're talking about two people here who are believers. And the the offender, I encourage, when you're acknowledging wrong, to say, I was wrong, I sinned against you, or I wronged you, I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I don't think the Bible tells you you have to say those words, but I think it really helps. It moves that conversation along. It says, will you forgive me? The person says, will you forgive me? And then the offended party can say, yes, I forgive you. Whether it's two 8-year-olds, 8-year-old and a 12-year-old, or teenagers, adults, husband, wife, Church members, friends, to get to that point in the conversation, say, "I was wrong when I did this. Will you forgive me?" And the other person to say, "Yes, I forgive you," just like God does. That's what God does, right? He says, "I forgive you," in His Word, and He's making that promise to us: I will not hold this offense against you, or bring it up against you to you, to myself, or to anybody else. Now, it's one thing to make the promise, isn't it? To say the words. Sometimes it's the practice of forgiveness that can be challenging especially in our own minds, especially if it is a deep hurt, especially if it is a moral offense that impacts us. It can be hard to practice forgiveness, and we're going to talk more about that uh, the next time we look at this together. But initially, it's this promise, and we do so. We, we promise forgiveness, and we practice forgiveness, like everything else we do in life that's hard, by the grace of God. God can give us the grace to do it, and the wisdom to know how to do it. Let's remember, we don't forgive because people deserve it. Do you deserve God's forgiveness? Nope, and neither do I. Do people, do we forgive people because they deserve it, because they've somehow earned their way back into our favor? Well, that's not how God treats us, is it? So is that how we should think about other people? Well, okay, finally, you made up for this, so okay, sure, I'll I'll kind of forget about it. No. We don't forgive people because they deserve it, but because God commands it. His word tells us to. And because Jesus provided for it. We can forgive, not because someone has somehow merited our favor or, or they've made up for what they've done to us, but because Jesus, by his precious blood, paid the full penalty for our sins when he died on the cross and because of that, we can be forgiven. And because of that, we can say to somebody else, you know what, how can I hold this against you if God forgives you? I can't because of his, his great forgiveness. When you move toward someone who has wronged you, and you state the offense, and you work toward understanding, and you reach a place where there is repentance and forgiveness, You are just doing what God has done for you. When I was in my teenage years and even early college years, uh, I'd been saved when I was younger, but uh, did not live a life of complete dedication to the Lord through those years. And I committed some sins, some pretty serious wrongs. I was dishonest with my parents. I had lied to my father repeatedly to escape getting into trouble. And, and there came a point where God was at work in my life, and I was, I was uh, coming clean with God and making, beginning to make some choices that would lead in a better direction by the grace of God. And I, I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. And uh, I, I kind of laid out what's been going on and that I'd been lying to him and, uh, for those years. And I just said, will you forgive me? Guess what he said? Yes, I forgive you. No, no conditions, no time period, no testing period. He just said, I forgive you. And you, you know what I knew in that moment? That God forgave me. I knew if my dad, my earthly father, could forgive me that freely, that completely, that my heavenly father for sure forgave me. And he was just doing what God had done for him. But in doing so, he was showing me what God is like. He was displaying for me the grace, the graciousness, the free forgiveness of God. So praise God for his forgiveness for our sins. And we can be like him when we forgive others, can't we? Do you need to take any of these steps that we've talked about today? Is there someone who has wronged you and it's staying on your mind? You think about it when you see them. Will you think about and will you pray about how you need to take steps toward reconciliation? Do you need to respond to anyone with any of these steps? Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you're at the altar, you remember your brother has something against you, put down your gift and go to that person, right? So if there's a process of reconciliation and forgiveness that needs to happen with somebody else, and you're the one at fault, maybe they've initiated steps. Maybe you need to initiate those steps and go to somebody else. Maybe you need to acknowledge a wrong. Not be defensive, not be humble. Not be defensive and be humble and have that conversation. Bitterness or hardness of heart toward others will hold us back. And I'm speaking today to individuals, but I'm also talking about us as a church as we seek to grow, be healthy and strong, be everything God intends us to be in the future days. Bitterness and hardness of heart toward others will hold us back. Forgiveness... And seeking forgiveness will enable us to move forward as one. Would you please pray with me? We are in awe of your forgiveness toward us. We praise you that because of Christ, we can be freely and fully forgiven for our sins. Father, help each of us here to be in a place where we understand and have received your forgiveness. But also, I pray you'd help each of us to be in a place where we Forgive freely as you forgive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.